Welcome to this evening's show. Well, people have been arriving here in Glasgow by the thousand, by the tens of thousands, some of them arriving by walking or even cycling all the way from London or Brussels or even as far afield as Spain or Poland. So what have all these long and arduous journeys been about? What have they to do with tackling climate change? And what does walking here, rather than jetting here like the world leaders, or coming by train or car like most of the rest of us, what does that mean to these bands of pilgrims? Well, one of these pilgrims is Melanie Nazareth. She's just arrived after a two-month walk called Camino to Cop. And I wondered, what did a woman who is already a busy lawyer and a mother of four children, why has she undertaken such a journey? What does it mean to her? I was in a meeting, must have been towards the end of last year, and someone said, uh, jokingly, you know, we could walk to Glasgow. People have walked to, to Cops before. Um, and there was, of course, um, a walk from London to Paris. And everybody laughed, and that was kind of the end of that. But it stuck in my head, this, this idea. And in January, I, I thought, we could do this. And I was lucky enough that our walk leader, our expedition leader, Helen Locke, is a good friend of mine. And she's uh, a DV expedition leader. So I said to her, I think it's possible. And she said, yes, yes, we can walk to Glasgow. And if she'd said no, we, we wouldn't be here. But uh, that, that's really how the mad idea was born. I just want to give us all a chance just to reflect on the magnitude of, of what's about to take place and why people are saying, I'm going to walk to Glasgow for the planet and for climate justice. And so that really is at the core of what we're doing. All the flags and the banners and the protein bars, you know, it's the core of what we're doing is because we're grieving and concerned and worried and we have a message to take. So this is the Extinction Rebellion Solemn Intention Statement. Let's take a moment to consider why we are here. Let's remember our love for this beautiful planet that feeds, nourishes, and sustains us. Let's remember our love for the whole of humanity in all corners of the world. Let's recollect our sincere desire to protect all this for ourselves, for all living beings, and for generations to come. As we walk today, may we find the courage to bring a sense of peace, love, and appreciation to everyone we encounter, to every word we speak, and to every action we make. We are here for all of us.
So we set off from St. James with a, quite a large group of people. People had brought their friends and their family. And it was um, the, the essence of the Extinction Rebellion faith bridge there. We had uh, uh, families from uh, exile Muslims walking alongside families from um, exile Jews. We had uh, Buddhist nun and lots of uh, practicing Buddhists walking with us. We had people in their CCA t-shirts, their Christian Climate Action t-shirts. Um, we had ordained clergy. Uh, it was a coming together of people. But what was really interesting was amongst them uh, were people who were of no affiliated faith, but had a strong spiritual connection, strong enough to want to walk with us. And that has actually got stronger as we've walked and we've had this uh, intentional spirituality. We've come together, the faiths have all come together to uh, uh, that, that strap line that we use in Extinction Rebellion Faith Bridge, United for Our Sacred Earth, has really played out as people of different spiritualities have, have come together. Um, it was really very, very beautiful. police escort because I think they were worried about uh, about us large group from a, trundling through the centre of London with flags and banners and drums. And it was actually quite a difficult walk because it was really hot, much hotter than we'd expected and then we marched with samba drums um, all the way up to Kilburn. The reception at Kilburn at Rob Thompson's church was incredible. Uh, they had cooked for us and they told us a lovely story that uh, their parish is the site of one of the first of the stops for medieval pilgrims on the way to St. Albans. Uh, the nuns there had built a, a hospice for pilgrims and so we, in the footsteps of those pilgrims, also going to St. Albans, made it our first stop. And that, that was just such a beautiful and resonant thing. We had a, a big, um, we had an event with a world music and a beautiful uh, song of Jewish blessing. And um, we did that for the community, anyone could come in, but also for ourselves. And it, it, it was something deeply spiritual. It was a good start to the Camino because it set the context for this being an interfaith pilgrimage. <laughs>
Let's go. One of the things that we did, because you can't stop and talk to everybody you meet, is that we printed leaflets. And you could see that people were intrigued about it and it enabled us to begin to open conversations, even if it wasn't directly with them, about um, the need for radical action to address the climate and for climate justice, which is an important uh, part of what we want to talk about on this pilgrimage. And um, the, the reaction was really overwhelming because people took the leaflets, you could see them, reading them. Um, people were asking for leaflets uh, and I don't think I'd expected such a, a positive response. But I think what we've learned through our walk through the streets of London and subsequently is that actually people are really, really concerned about the climate crisis. They, they know that there's something really bad happening, but they're overwhelmed with the, that knowledge and they don't know what to do. And so when people do something like our walking to Glasgow, you get people saying, well done, you're walking for all of us. You want to say, and, and we do say, look, we're just ordinary people. By taking this step, this is the action that we take, but you can take action. You can take your own action in whatever sphere in life you're ready to, to step up. You just need to step up into your role uh, to, in, in this time of crisis. Thank you so much. Very well, Goodbye. Really lovely. Go well. It was my 58th birthday, and I walked into an Extinction Rebellion protest on Waterloo Bridge, and there was just something about it, and I had to be on the other lines. It was like it was like God saying to me, I had to be on the other side of those lines, and that's never happened to me. I'm not that kind of person. Uh, but once I was there, I just all fell into place because I realised that the climate crisis just amplifies all the other things that I'd had on my radar and was the existential threat, not just to us here in the UK, but all those people I cared about in the global south and in places that I'd grown up and where I was born. And Which is where, Melanie? I was born in Kenya, mm. uh, in Nairobi, and then I lived most of my life in the Solomon Islands. Mm. And it just sort of like the scales fell from my eyes because the magnitude of the climate crisis uh, hit me. And I've never looked back. Uh, within a few months, I had cut down my workload and uh, then I stopped working to take a master's in uh, theology, ecology and ethics and to work in conjunction with that, with Christian Climate Action and Extinction Rebellion. And part of that led me to the Extinction Rebellion Faith Bridge, which is our interfaith alliance. And we were talking about COP26 in January, and we were in a meeting thinking, oh, what shall we do in Glasgow? And somebody said, oh, we should walk to Glasgow, and everybody laughed, and then everybody thought it was mad, and it was mad, 450 miles ahead of us. <laughs> Upon the back of anyone who choose to carry me Through field, village and city day by day from town to town To where leaders are gathering like rooks before the storm 
Ask me where I'm going. Ask me what is my purpose. Ask me what my name is. They call me the coat of hopes. What is it that I'm taking to the ones who will decide? If as a world we'll do all in our power to survive Only pieces of blanket i collected on my path With griefs, hope, prayers, remembrances for the lands through which i pass. Ask me where I'm going Ask me what is my purpose Ask me what my name is What's the message you personally be taking? Uh, action, not words, I think. You know, no more fossil fuels. Be the main thing for me. To deliver on your promises. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've heard a lot, haven't we? It's, uh, people know what needs to be done. We're good to see some action. I think it is the last best chance we've got, so it would be great to take that message home. We carry uh, a lot of responsibility. I think a lot of people are with us in spirit. They can't be here on the, right. the road. So feels like a long way to Scotland, though. Still, <laughs> how far are you going to get personally? All the way. Yeah, all the way. Yeah. Hopefully. Banning fossil fuels. I think that's the simplest, the simplest message for us. And, and having talked about this a lot, you know, I'd like us to take one simple message up to COP. And for me, that's an end to fossil fuels. And that means that we don't have the hypocrisy of coal mines in Cumbria and uh, oil, drilling for oil off the coast of Scotland because it falls under a, a, an older set of rules. I think the one thing that we must try and achieve is a, is a, a stop to fossil fuel investment. When we walk, we always have a period of silence so that we can uh, both immerse ourselves in nature or find something within ourselves. But that also is intended to give us space to, um, to ground ourselves because that grounding is what helps us to get through the day. I, I should put it this way, that really the act of walking in a Christian tradition is, is, is an act of prayer. And there was, for me, there was a strong element of um, feeling that this was an offering to God and that this, this planet is God's creation. And it was an attempt at repentance. I think we have a lot to repent and the hardship of walking was, was an act of, uh, of penitence. Um, so there was all that and the idea that we could model a community as we traveled and show people what living in community, living simply, um, honoring one another could be. And so what life um, could look like in an, in an alternative reality, a better way of living. Melanie, so you made it 
I know, it was astonishing. This is probably the most important thing I will ever have done in my life because this is the most important climate conference of our lifetime, my lifetime, and probably the lifetimes of a lot of people. Because if we don't manage to get something sorted very soon, uh, we'll find ourselves in a position where we can't do anything about it. The decision will be out of our hands because we'll have reached tipping points. And so it seemed really important in the face of such a serious uh, conference to do something that matched the seriousness of that. And I, I can't think of anything that'd be personally more challenging, but also give, gave us the opportunity to talk to so many people about uh, this climate crisis than actually crossing the United Kingdom on foot. And you were bringing messages from the people you met. It was really interesting talking to different communities and different people because they all had different stories. And that was one of the really important things that we wanted to do was not just to tell our story, but also to listen to their stories. And one thing that the people that we met had in common, right from London all the way up to Glasgow, was this feeling that they knew that something was wrong. Um, most of them understood uh, that, that there was something really bad happening with the climate, but even those that didn't have a great grasp of the science knew that, that there was something terribly wrong. And most of them were trying to do something in, in their own way about it. So reusing, recycling, trying to reduce their carbon footprint. But what they all had in common was the fact that they felt powerless and voiceless in the face of what was happening politically. They didn't feel listened to and they couldn't really think of what they could do to change that. So we had lots and lots of people saying, I'm so glad that you're walking, that you're doing this because someone's doing something. Or people would say, you're walking for us. And it was that sense that they felt that politicians, world leaders, business leaders were just not listening and they had no way of changing that dynamic. So one of the things that we did when we went to talk to communities is to tell them that actually they could step into their own power. They just had to take the first step. You know, we'd never really, I found it really surprising that I could walk to Glasgow. But for me, it was taking the first step and thinking, maybe I can't do this. And then taking the second or the third and then realizing that, yes, I probably could do this. And just asking people to think about engaging politically and then waiting and seeing how they could take the next step. And, and, and did this response change your own sense of your message? I think it made us talk much more to people about how they could step into their own power because we've been carrying a message about climate justice. We talk a lot about the climate debt that we owe to uh, developing countries to the global south who've contributed so little to using up the world's carbon budget but have so little of it left. So we would talk to them about the moral obligation that we felt that we have to helping countries that were in the front line of climate change. Um, but we realized that we also needed to talk to people about how they might do that, be it kind of just holding prayer vigils outside local council offices or outside MPs offices if they were communities of faith using prayer as a form of protest or just somehow engaging uh, in a political protest, even if it was writing to their MP. And we talked to them about how we had become activists. That was a strong thread that we've developed in the course of walking. 
was telling people how we were ordinary people and had become activists in the hope that it would help people to see that activism wasn't something just for people on the far outer edges of um, concern and, and uh, engagement, but was for everybody. So um, what you were doing was obviously something extremely obviously peaceful, just walking. But what people perhaps were worried about was what they saw as extremism was, say, uh, the civil disobedience disruption that some of your colleagues, after all, you're from Exile's um, Christian Climate Action Group, but other colleagues of yours in Exile are doing things that people are upset by sometimes. I don't see a huge gap between what we did and being civilly disobedient. There are, I think, both are forms of nonviolent direct action. I think nonviolent direct action involves acting directly, using your body and doing it rooted in, in, in love. And so that is to an extent what we were doing. We, we decided to do it peacefully because we thought that was the best means of reaching the communities we wanted to talk to. But it, it has its place alongside a much more disruptive uh, form of NVDA. And I'm uh, really completely understand and I'm on board with and see the necessity for civilly disobedient action, because um, it can be really difficult to get your message across in the press, and it can be very difficult to get politicians to listen to you if you don't take that sort of non-violent uh, direct action that is so disruptive. And as a Christian, I certainly think that that path is one that you can see in the Bible. There's a really strong thread of civil disobedience uh, aligned to justice in the Bible, and so I see that as completely mandated. It's a standing up for what you think is right. So that's the first thing. But also you hope that by being arrested for doing something that you think is right, you will engage the moral conscience of the nation, that people will begin to think, look at the sacrifice that they are making in order to stand up for what is just right. And you can think about how um, the civil rights movement, for instance, engaged that moral conscience. And I, I think there can be nothing more right than standing up for humanity in this hour of crisis, and particularly for those people who are already really at the sharp end of it. You talk about being rooted in love. There seems to be a ter terrific sense of integrity about this, that, that people are um, in a state of commitment and meaning it kind of through and through. You mean it all the way through. And I wonder how you feel when you come across the politicians, the world leaders at COP, who say a lot of things, but um, you know, how much do you believe that? How much integrity do you feel there is at COP? Well, the first thing I'd say is that as a person of faith, as a Christian, I think I'm called to be faithful and not called to be successful. That work is God's, not mine. But I would agree with you, there is a real difficulty in the political systems and I think it is because of our system it's a partly our electoral system that makes short-termism uh, a goal and is built into it because you have to appeal to the electorate's immediate comfort and and that makes sacrifice and telling the truth and doing the hard things that we need to do much more difficult which is one of the reasons why uh, I'm in Extinction Rebellion because actually that the, the, the demand for a citizens assembly seems to me to be the best possible option we've got at the moment in terms of breaking that deadlock. The thing that was quite extraordinary was the press interest, the barrage of press who wanted to take photographs and interview us and find out more about what we'd done. And 
And it was really heartening because you, you had said this was a nonviolent protest. And I'd kind of said, well, actually, you know, maybe it is more akin to civil disobedience than you think. But actually, we didn't really think that it would get press attention or government attention because we tended to think that only disruptive action did. But because I think this had been such a hard thing and such a big thing, they did turn out. And we, we had a lot of press coverage along the way as well. That's so interesting. And because it, it's always been the kind of mantra that, you know, the despair of people who wanted to be peaceful and nonviolent, that you only get attention if there is violence. I mean, when you think of Gandhi's salt marches, you kind of knew there would be violence and that that would shine a light on, on his cause or the cause of Quit India. And uh, it just seems so awful that we have to have violence in order to get this attention. And if you've managed to do it without, maybe the violence in the air, the violence of climate crisis itself. Yeah, I think it was de definitely connected with the fact that people are waking up to the seriousness of this. Uh, but I think it was also connected to the fact that, you know, this has been a long journey. We walked 500 miles and it took us eight weeks and it, it's been a real commitment. And I think people kind of recognise that that commitment. It's not just a commitment, it's a privilege to be able to do that. But um, I think that commitment was was something that people acknowledged. So it was a different way of doing something that was very, that is challenging. The people oh, who get arrested don't want to do it either. For them, that's really challenging. I can't do that, so I found another way. Well, he heroism is something, again, a lot of people are courageous and you don't always see it. And I suppose by being in a band and a group, uh, you know, you, you make that loving kind of heroism rather than a kind of dominating kind of heroism or a, uh, um, a, a warlike heroism, but a, a loving heroism. You, you've made it visible, haven't you? One of the things that happened along the way and, and actually has been a point of discussion a lot uh, with, with people we meet is modeling the sort of way of life that I think that will help us get through this crisis, an intentional way of caring for and helping each other, not allowing the weak to fall behind, to, to uh, live as simply as we can. We were vegan all the way through. Um, you know, we, we tried to model a good, community and a good way of being. And, and I think we succeeded largely. We made mistakes, but we learned from our mistakes. Um, and that has been important when we talk to people about what we've done, because I think if you're gonna talk about things, it, it's good to be able to talk from a position of having uh, done something about it yourself I think a lot of political leaders just talk the talk because they've never had the experience, whereas we've put both into practice or tried to. Well, it's a marvellous journey you've done, Melanie, and um, I, I wish you well in the next few days while you confront all the other people you will be meeting at in Glasgow. And I don't know if you will come across the, the leaders more directly face to face, but if you do, I, I'm sure your your conviction and your commitment will will do something to them too. Thank well, I you. hope you'll come across them because we're carrying ribbons with messages of hope and messages of what people want with us, uh, and we really hope to find some way of delivering those to to world leaders. I hope you get there.
Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so Melanie and her fellow pilgrims have walked their talk quite literally. And as the pilgrims have been walking, they've been remembering and reminding all of us of the wonders of the natural world and the vulnerability of the ecosystems that have been sustaining us. So let's close today's program with one of the songs that the pilgrims sang along the way. And we'll all go together to plant